Hello, and welcome to the Challenge Fly Podcast, where we put your season under review. We are through week two, and the only thing we know about fantasy football is that we know nothing at all. So with week two being done, I can personally say I'm more confused than ever. RJ, what's your take on week two? Week two was absolutely wild. We had so many outrageous performances across the board. But looking at the actual fantasy scores, we're going to do a quick recap of how our league finished. So we had Risk with 116.66 over Beecher with 107.64, which was technically the game of the week, despite probably being the most underwhelming matchup across the board. We had Beicher with 172.52 over Woods with 103.68, which was the second biggest blowout of the week, which is wild considering the 70 point difference there. If you, I'm confused by this one, Blake, if, if you have not looked at this, you might be shocked. It, it could give you a heart attack. We had Landry with 179.62 over Robbins with 93.8 in the biggest blowout of the week. Cause we all saw that coming. Right. You know, that was just our number one ranked team after the drafts in Robbins and the number 10 ranked team in Landry. And the score accurately indicates exactly what we expected. And that was that our draft grades are never correct. Never. And I am just so ashamed that Draj has a win before I do. And we will look to correct that in the future. Our fourth matchup was Fuller with 158.8 over Costa with 144.06 and what was a close matchup there. Then we had Kulos with 171.12 over Watson with 153.43. And Blake, I'd like to give you a quick platform to air some grievances you might have about the defensive position in fantasy football. You know, going into Monday night, I was lacking on hope for a win. But with Jalen Hurts, I think it's safe to say that you're never out of a fantasy matchup unless you're playing the freaking Buffalo Bills defense who puts up over 20 points. The fact that we even have defenses in the league still is beyond me. It's a travesty. It's something that that I believe needs some correction because there's absolutely no reason that I should be losing my week because a freaking defense decides that they're going to play against one of the worst offenses in football on primetime television and not only give us a bad game to watch and to have to sit through, but then also ruin the weeks for millions of fantasy football players across the nation. It's just, it's gut-wrenching. You are preaching to the choir. I have been a proponent of removing the defensive position from our league for many years now. I'm glad to see that we may have converted you. Just remember this when we get to voting in August of next year about these things. Defense is just not worth the position. And we've got at least two people here that will back that up. Okay, and that is our week two recap. Blake, I will pass things back over to you to start us with studs and duds for the week. I think it's pretty safe to say that there are very few names that we could pick from the studs column in week one that will also be in the studs column for week two. And same can probably be said for the duds. I'll start out with my stud for the week, and that is Tua Tagovailoa for the Miami Dolphins. I think when everyone was planning on the tank for Tua season, this is the Tua that they were expecting the Miami Dolphins to end up with. He almost dropped 40 points last week. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell just proved to be key pieces for Tua Tagovailoa to 
to really get good footing in the NFL. And it largely came on the back of a second half performance where Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle were catching deep downfield passes. I think it's safe to say that the expert analysis that Tua doesn't have a strong enough arm to throw to Tyreek Hill is something that we can officially throw out the window. The connection seems to be there, not only between Tua and his old college teammate, Jalen Waddle, but Tyreek Hill seems to fit in like the, the missing puzzle piece that really pulls it all together in Miami. I think that this isn't just a, a one-week thing, and I think every supporter of Tua non has something that they can really hang their hat on this week. So, RJ, I, I got to ask you, after seeing this performance, have you been converted to be a member of Two and On? I can't say that I have. I recognize that this was an outrageously good game by Tua. I'd also caution that Nick Foles has thrown six touchdown passes before in a game, so do with that what you will. The concerning thing for me is that despite the six touchdowns, despite the 450-whatever passing yards Tua had, he did also have two interceptions, and it looked like the Ravens were going to run away with this one before a strong comeback in the fourth quarter by the Dolphins. While I think Tua had a magnificent game, and I really debated picking him as my stud for the week, but I was really concerned about pronouncing the last name. I'm, I'm not going to even try it because I will butcher it. Tua looked great. The offense looked great. They didn't look amazing week one. I need to see a couple more of these games, maybe not to this degree, but a little bit more of like Tua tossing three touchdown passes, throwing for 300 yards, keeping the mistakes at a minimum before I am fully aboard this hype train. I think that's fair. And I'm sure we'll see moving forward how well and how reliable Tua is going to be. Consistency may be a problem, but with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, I, I think it's a very, very safe super flex play week in and week out. Now, moving to my dud of the week, this is someone that I think you cannot confidently put into your lineup any week, and that's Juju Smith-Schuster in what was a game that is prime for just fireworks and an offensive explosion. Juju Smith-Schuster put up less than 10 fantasy points, and he was someone that I expected coming into this week would catch at least one, maybe even two touchdowns. And this kind of goes back to my analysis last week of the Kansas City offense and the fact that you really just can't trust that any of those receivers are, are going to put up a wide receiver one or wide receiver two performance on a week-to-week -week basis. Juju, while he had that breakout season in 2018 and he still has the potential to reach that at some point, I just don't know that Juju will ever fully grow into that wide receiver one role that we all were really hoping that we would see him grow into when he was coming out of USC and while he was putting up those big numbers in Pittsburgh. RJ, that Kansas City offense, would you agree with my analysis that you really can't start any of those receivers comfortably, even though you have potentially the best quarterback in the league, Patrick Mahomes, in there in the backfield, throwing them the ball? Right now, yes. I will also acknowledge that this week was a little bit weird for the Chiefs. They played a decent defense, and Kelsey, who is an absolute stud in this league and is a must-start every single week, finished with about 10 fantasy points. So it was just overall very weird. I think there is a avenue for Juju being a must-start player at some point this year, but at this point, only two weeks into the season and having one decent game and a pretty off game on a Thursday night primetime firepower-filled performance I am a little concerned here so I'm gonna be I think Juju's a hold right now I wouldn't trade him quite yet or or look to trade him 
I think he, there's a good chance he can recoup some value at this point. I agree. He would definitely be a sell low right now, but at the same point in time, I might consider selling Juju low because you still could get some value off of the name recognition alone. I just don't know that he's ever going to put up enough games in a row with high enough fantasy production that you can flip him for, for anyone really worth starting value in your lineup. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and jump into RJ's studs and duds for the week. So RJ, if you want to kick us off with your stud. So my stud of the week, I picked specifically for you, Blake, because I know you've had a, a bit of a love-hate relationship with this guy and may not have been a believer in him at first. I've been converted now. I, I can say I'm fully aboard the hype train. In fact, I'm I'm signing up. I'm putting in my resume to be the conductor on that hype train. Well, if you haven't guessed it yet, that player is Omon Ra St. Brown. In a week of absolutely massive performances of Across the board, we can't forget about Omen Ross St. Brown. He put together nine receptions for 116 yards and two touchdowns for a total of 32.6 fantasy points. Through two weeks of this year, he has 24 targets, which is number four in the league, and he's commanding a 33.8% target share, which is also number four in the league. And that's on an offense that has a lot of different playmakers between Hawkinson, Swift, DJ Chark, whoever it may be, that's an elite target share. And the fun stat of the week is that he's the third player in NFL history with eight games in a row with eight receptions, joining only Michael Thomas and Antonio Brown, who, if you were a fantasy football player, and you probably are if you're listening to this podcast, those are pretty big names in the fantasy community, at least when they were in their primes. So Blake, any additional comments here about Omon Ra? Where do you see him maybe finishing this year? Well, as far as additional comments go, I think you brought up something very important and it's something that most fantasy players might not pay attention to because they're so focused on 2022, but he finished the season putting up very similar numbers. So it's not like it's just a one or two game fluke. It's not the Sammy Watkins effect. It's not someone that you can look at and go, oh, that's great that he put up these numbers in week one and week two but obviously if I want to go trade for him now it would be a buy high target no I think that this is fantasy production that's here to stay as far as where he's going I don't really see him going anywhere DJ Chark everyone's been waiting on DJ Chark to break out for years now and he's just never going to be the guy that he was that one season in Jacksonville TJ Hawkinson is Man, I, I feel bad for people who drafted TJ Hawkinson because this was supposed to be his role in the Detroit offense. And um, Amon Ross St. Brown has come in and he has just proved game in and game out that he is an elite receiver that's deserving of the target share that Jared Goff is giving him. And maybe Jared Goff is not as bad of a quarterback as we remember him being in Los Angeles. Perhaps it's just that he didn't fit the Sean McVay scheme or Perhaps it's just that Dan Campbell has somehow, some way found some kind of method, maybe biting off kneecaps or doing up-downs with the football team is something that really motivates Jared Goff, and he's found his stride in Detroit. Maybe, but looking at my dud for the week, we have another young player who has pretty miserably disappointed his owners at this point in the season. So I had to go with Kyle Pitts, who was drafted as the tight end three this season, according to ADP. Now that three is significant because for two straight weeks, Kyle Pitts has put up about three points. Now I think an important quote to consider here with Pitts is that his head coach, 
when asked about his usage, his response was, it's not fantasy football. We're just trying to win. Well, Arthur, that's not really working out well for you, considering the Falcons are in two. So maybe they need to get their most talented offensive player involved. On Sunday, Pitts continued his rough start to 2022 with his second consecutive two reception for 19-yard performance, which is pretty impressive in itself that he was able to replicate his stat line exactly the same two weeks in a row. However, I don't think his fantasy owners view it that way. Another significant detail here is that Pitts' targets dipped from seven in week one to only three in week two. And week one was a competitive game, whereas week two started to get out of hand. The Falcons were playing from behind. So the fact that they only targeted Pitts three times comes as kind of a shock to me. Now, the last thing I'll hit on here, because I don't want to beat a dead horse, is that the quality of the targets Pitts is receiving is number 33 in the league at this point in the season. The QB situation with Marcus Mariota is having a direct impact on Pitts' performance, even when he's getting targets. So he's not getting a lot of targets, and when he's getting them, they're not quality. Blake, should Pitts owners be panicking right now? I mean, if I were a Kyle Pitts owner, I would be slightly panicked. I have invested in him in other leagues. And while the quote from Arthur Smith looks really, really bad, given the fact that they've lost both games where they haven't used Kyle Pitts, I think it's pretty safe to say that he understands that things are not working in Atlanta the way that he's currently running the offense right now. While his mouth is saying one thing, I think his actions will say something completely different. And I think we can expect the Kyle Pitts target share to go up. I think this is more of a stubborn Mike Tomlin type of attitude where it's he's not going to have the same actions that Mike Tomlin does. And we'll see Pitts maybe not be the tight end three or be the tight end that he was drafted to be. But we'll see his fantasy production increase for sure. There is hope. Arthur Smith is a, is a smart guy. He got Ryan Tannehill a big paycheck while he was uh, out in Tennessee, and clearly Tannehill is not worth that money. But we'll move on to our special segment of the week, and I went ahead and did some research, and I'll give you some details here, Blake, and then I'd love to hear some of your opinions here. But the title of this section is going to be, What is Going On with Dalvin Cook? So at this point in the season, it's fair to say that Dalvin Cook has underwhelmed fantasy man- managers who spent a first or high second round pick on him. His week one performance was decent. He scored 13.8 fantasy points, but it still raised some concerns since this was a positive game script game that the Vikings dominated from start to finish, which should have translated to plenty of opportunities for Cook, which it did. He had 20 carries, but he didn't do too much with those carries. Now fast forward to week two, and it was just absolutely horrible for every Viking not named Justin Jefferson, but Cook was pretty putrid. He had 17 yards on six carries. He did get involved a little bit in the passing game, and he caught four receptions for 19 yards, which salvaged his day from being absolutely terrible from a fantasy perspective. But from an efficiency perspective, this was terrible all around. Now, we knew the Vikings were going to turn more pass-heavy in 2022, but experts figured this would open up running lanes for Cook despite the offensive line checking in at number 26 in the league in preseason rankings. So is Dalvin Cook in trouble or are we jumping the gun on our concerns? Let's look at the numbers. Cook is still commanding an elite 69.8% snap share, which is number seven amongst running backs, despite having an elite backup in Alexander Madison. 
but his 26 carries checks in at number 16 in the league, putting him in that RB2 range, which is not what you want from your first or second round pick in fantasy. And despite a shaky offensive line, Cook hasn't exactly done his team any favors. His total yards created, which is 100, checks in at number 15. And that's furthered by him only creating 3.03 yards per touch, which is number 22 in the league. Now, if you notice a pattern here, those all put him in that RB2 range, not the RB1 range that we're used to seeing. So has Dalvin Cook lost a step or have the Vikings just not put him in a position for success? Blake, what are your thoughts? So when it comes to Dalvin Cook, I think it's fair to have concerns. I think there's still a very good chance that he ends up being a running back one for fantasy, just given the pure talent that is Dalvin Cook and the the usage, obviously volume is king when it comes to fantasy football. But I think that something that's really, really important to highlight is that while Kevin O'Connell was a great offensive coordinator in Los Angeles, and while he made Todd Gurley a very viable fantasy stud, he didn't do it through the passing game like everyone thinks. He is bringing that Sean McVay West Coast offense over to Minnesota, but really that opens up the receiving game for the wide receiver position significantly more than it does for the running back position. Todd Gurley made all of his fancy production off the back of goal line carries and long explosive runs just from, from being the great athlete that he was coming out of Georgia. Dalvin Cook is obviously an excellent athlete coming out of Florida State, and he's proven time and time again that he can get done on the ground but I don't think that people should have really expected Dalvin Cook to get the passing game usage or a passing game bump that everyone seemed to think he was going to get. So I understand that it might be disappointing if that's the expectation that you had coming into the season with Dalvin Cook. Something that's promising, though, is that the volume is still there. Personally, I'm starting to lean towards being out on Dalvin Cook as a running back one, but it's not out of the range of possibilities for him this fantasy season. Keep in mind that all of the fantasy running backs taken in the first round have disappointed to this point in the season, and that's not something that you should really expect moving forward. Someone's going to have to emerge as a worthwhile fantasy running back, and it could very well be Dalvin Cook. It just depends on what Minnesota offense shows up week in and week out. Yeah, Great points, Blake. I can say this for certain. I am lucky enough to play Dalvin Cook in several leagues this week, so you can definitely expect him to get back on track with my luck. And that's furthered by the notion that he plays the Detroit Lions, who have surrendered a very juicy 5.1 yards per carry so far this season. I unfortunately am expecting a big week out of him. But that'll wrap up that section, and we will move on to our week three preview. So checking in at our standings right now, I'm sitting at five and five. Blake? You are doing not so well sitting at three and six, but maybe we get back on track this week. Our first matchup of the week is Mr. Matthew Beicher against Mr. Blake Fuller. Now looking at the positives for Beicher, Cooper Cup should absolutely feast once again against the Cardinals defense who have only one sack so far on the season, which should give Stafford plenty of time to throw, especially given the state of his offensive line and the issues he, he's had in the prior weeks. Another positive is that you can expect Kelsey to get back on track against Indy, but his production will be offset by Mahomes on Fuller's team. Now, a few concerns for Beicher. Tampa Bay has been rock solid as a defensive front this year. 
With Rodgers middling play so far, be concerned about his ability to produce this week and get Dylan involved, which will be a two-pronged concern for Matt's team. And then another concern is after an absolute barn burner in Baltimore, Tua draws a Buffalo defense that has been absolutely killer for offenses to go up against so far this year. It's a big opportunity for Tua to prove himself, but I am personally not expecting much. Now looking over at Fuller's team, for some positives, as we mentioned before, the Chiefs get a plus matchup against Indy. If Mahomes decides to spread the ball around a little bit more and not hone in on Kelsey, he could do enough damage without giving Kelsey too much of a bump. But we know who his favorite target is. Denver's defense hasn't quite dominated the bad teams that they've played so far this year, with that being Seattle and Houston. With Jimmy G's return, I think we could see a big week out of Debo. Now for the concerns, Las Vegas has been surprisingly very stingy against the run so far this year. They've only allowed 3.7 yards per carry. I don't know if that's a product of the games they've played with Los Angeles playing a little bit more pass heavy and Arizona having to do the same because Las Vegas got up big so early. But with Tannehill's horrible start to the season, I wouldn't be surprised if Vegas sells out to stop the run and stymies King Henry for the third straight week. But I do know Derrick Henry is not the type of guy to go two weeks in a row without exploding for a big performance in that third week. So you never know, but it's worth flagging. My personal pick in this matchup is Fuller. Matt has concerns at the most important positions, with that being quarterback, between Rodgers and Tua. And Fuller has some additional plus matchups down the roster to emphasize. Amon Ra will dominate the Vikings' suspect pass defense. I expect a really big game out of him to continue this hot start. I do think this game is going to be a close one, and I'm going to pick it for our game of the week. Blake, any thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, first and foremost, I want to give a shout-out to Matthew Beischer for being the only team last week that didn't let me down in my predictions. For that reason, I think I'm going to ride with Matt again, and I'm going to take him to, to win in our game of the week. I just think that the receiving core for Matt – between Cooper Cup and Travis Kelsey and Christian Kirk, I think it's just too much to overcome. While Fuller has a good team and while Fuller seems to, to make me eat my words every week I pick against him, I just don't think that he can compete with Matt. And I might even go as far as to say that Matt has the best team in the league. It's going to be really, really hard for anyone to match up with the receivers the running backs and the tight ends week in and week out. And so for that reason, I'm going to pick Matt until someone proves me wrong and beats him. For that, let's jump into game two of week three. And that's going to be a matchup between Risky Business Incorporated and Waffle House Bankruptcy. We have the big business versus the bankrupt individual out here, which sounds like quite the mismatch in favor of Risky Business. However, after we go through these lineups, that might not be the indication that you get from this game. So on Christian's side, we have Justin Herbert with DeAndre Swift and James Conner as the running back pairing. Next, we have CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Cooks, and Drake London rounding out the receivers and flex position. And of course, the seemingly reliable Darren Waller in the tight end slot. And the new pickup in Marcus Mariota at the Superflex. For Michael, we have quarterback one, Josh Allen, with the treacherous running back duo, if that is not an understatement, in Ezekiel Elliott and Jeff Wilson, and then the best wide receiver duo in the league in Stephon Diggs and Devontae Adams, followed by Dallas Goddard, 
and Juju Smith-Schuster rounding out the flex positions and tight end position, and then Derek Carr in the super flex. So looking at this matchup, there's an obvious advantage for Chris at the running back position. That being said, James Conner's status for the game is still in doubt. Chris has Eno Benjamin on his bench who could step in for Connor if Connor were not able to go for some reason. But even if James Connor can't go, the running back advantage is still clearly in Christian's favor with DeAndre Swift versus Zeke and Jeff Wilson. The receiver advantage will go to Michael from this day until further notice. And that notice is the official end of the 2022-2023 NFL season. That receiver duo is just always going to be lethal. And the fact that he has the stack, you know, we mention this every week, but it's just going to double up every touchdown that these guys get. And one of them will score a touchdown every week. And both of them will score a touchdown on most weeks. Despite the lack of running back depth for Michael, I just think that the matchups for Buffalo and for Las Vegas this week are a little too good for both of those offenses. I think that Buffalo is going to be required to throw the ball a lot against Miami. It should be a high-scoring game where all the receivers in that game feast. And I think you can expect Las Vegas to dominate, and I don't expect Adams will have a great game, just like we saw Stephon Diggs have a great game against Tennessee last week. RJ, who are you going with in this risky business, the big incorporation versus the, the little individual? Are you a man of the people? Well, I do think it's worth pointing out that Chris has his own sneaky little stack here with Mariota and, and London. It's not nearly on the same page, but it is. It is a fun one. Drake's been exciting so far this year. I think another interesting thing that we probably need to emphasize here is that Herbert is still questionable and he was not taking first team snaps as of Friday, which is a huge concern. With that in mind, I'm going to also go with Michael. Mariota has not been a great fantasy quarterback thus far. He's been okay. Probably um, he's probably put a better points than Lance at this point, but between that and Herbert being a little banged up, Swift is still a little questionable. He had the ankle injury last week. Didn't quite put up the points we expected. Connor's questionable. Lots of injury concerns on that side. So even despite the bad running back situation, I'm going Costa as well. All right. Well, our next matchup is quite a good one. It's a, it's an old heated rivalry. We've got Blake Watson against Jordan Robbins. Looking at Blake's team, we've got, Quite a few positive matchups here. He's got Hertz against Washington, Eckler against Jacksonville, Brown against Washington with Hertz, as that stack does, Pittman against Kansas City, and even Winston against Carolina is good this week. Now, the concern to emphasize here, as we've discussed already, is that he has Aaron Jones against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay has been stellar thus far in defense. We've said it already. And the Packers have not excelled on the offensive side of the ball. Jones could be in line for a dud here. Looking at Jordan's team, he has some positive matchups of his own. He's got Burrow against the Jets. He's got the triple Minnesota stack against Detroit. And he's got Fournette against Green Bay, assuming he's healthy. Now the concerns, the injuries. Will Kamara go this week? Seems like Kittle will. If they return, what sort of target share or, or snap share are we even looking at? And then the triple stack sounded great in theory, but Jefferson's dominance has cannibalized Thielen, making him almost unplayable at this point. If Jordan is forced to start Adam Thielen, I'd be concerned about another corporate performance. My pick here is going to be Mr. Watson. As it stands right now, Watson should have a strong week overall with very little concerns up and down his roster. But I'm caveating that by saying that if Kamara and Kittle go, 
it could be a lot closer and Robbins could sneak out a win. Call it a gut feeling, but I'm going to still stick with Blake. Blake, any comment on your matchup? So first and foremost, I just want to bring up the fact that Jordan's choice in mascot is very fitting as I've always hated teams with bird mascots. I hate the Eagles. I've never been a fan of the Ravens or the Seahawks. I hate the War Eagles if we're going to go as far as college football. So Robin's Birds is obviously a matchup where I want to win so bad because I just have an intense rivalry and disdain for this team. That being said, anytime I've gone up against Joe Burrow in anything, anywhere, he has absolutely decimated me and my team. In college, he did it when Texas A&M played against LSU. Last year, he did it to remove me from the fantasy playoffs and end my season. And while people have been very down on Joe Burrow and that Cincinnati offense so far this season, I just have a gut feeling that he's going to do it to me again. That paired with if Kamara does end up being able to play this week, I'm very nervous about this matchup. I think Jordan has a stellar fantasy team. And last week when I picked myself to win, I lost. So using all of that logic combined, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Robins birds to win. I'm hoping for some sort of reverse jinx, good juju. But I think regardless of of who does come away with this, it's going to be a very close game. And it's always exciting whenever I get to renew this rivalry with Jordan. And I'm, I'm looking forward to another heated matchup once again. So let's go ahead and jump into game four of week three, and that is going to pit the darlings of the UK, the United Kingdom, that is, not University of Kentucky, the Diamond Dogs against Drew K7, which is, I just have to point out, perhaps the most stellar team name in our entire league. Looking at RJ's roster, that is AFC Richmond, he will be starting Carson Wentz with the stellar running back duo of Jonathan Taylor and Joe Mixon. And then the boom or bust wide receiver pairing of Allen Robinson and Mike Williams. And then going into TJ Hawkinson and the pleasant surprise Miles Sanders at his flex position. And then let's ride with Russell Wilson in the super flex. Drew's roster consists of Lamar Jackson coming off the heels of a incredible fantasy week paired with Dalvin Cook, who we just talked about, and Antonio Gibson. At the wide receiver position, you have Tyreek Hill, who looks like a world beater through the first two weeks of the season. And then DJ Moore, Mark Andrews, and Tyler Lockett. And then at the Superflex, that's right, Jimmy G season is back in San Francisco as Drew Kulas will be starting him in his Superflex spot. So looking at the initial breakdown of this matchup, I think you can expect Jonathan Taylor to have a bounce back game. And like I mentioned talking about my matchup with Jordan, I think you can expect the Cincinnati offense to also get back on track in week three, meaning that that running back pairing for RJ is going to be a very tough running back pairing to beat. Additionally, if Mike Williams or Allen Robinson can show any kind of consistency, then that's a wide receiver duo that can consist of a wide receiver one on any given week. Miles Sanders has been a pleasant surprise. And I think that with all the upside, that's just too much for Drew to overcome. I think that Dalvin Cook, this is kind of a make or break week for him against Detroit, who's given up a whole bunch of yards and touchdowns to fantasy running backs, including Miles Sanders, who's on RJ's team. While Tyreek Hill, you can expect a good performance from him week in and week out, and he's going to have to have a good performance in a shootout with Buffalo. 
I think that's the only real receiving threat that gives RJ any scare. DJ Moore and Tyler Lockett have both been, if not disappointing, then average at best. Mark Andrews could likely have a monster week, but again, it's just not enough to overcome that running back pairing and the upside of RJ's wide receivers. RJ, how do you feel about this, man? Last week's loss was very hard on me. It forced the team into a rebrand, but we're back stronger than ever. We are AFC Richmond now, and the Greyhounds are always used to being underdogs. But we're going to believe this week. We're going to believe that Bill Belichick will shut down Lamar Jackson. We're going to believe that Dalvin Cook is the RB2 we hope he is. We're going to believe that Buffalo's defense is that good and Tyreek Hill does nothing. We're going to believe that New Orleans Saints defense is good and DJ Moore does nothing. We're going to believe that Bill also shuts down Mark Andrews, and we're going to believe for a victory this week. I'm picking me. Our final matchup of week three pits the two powerhouses, Ethan Woods and Raj Landry, against one another. Looking at Woods' side, got some positives. Jamar Chase draws a strong matchup against the Jets after disappointing last week against the blanket that is Trayvon Diggs in Dallas. Expect Jamar to get back on track this week. And then David Montgomery was the lone bright spot last week in Green Bay. He had 15.6 fantasy points. I expect him to run wild this week and give us another RB2 performance, but I give him RB1 upside in this one. Now for concerns, both the Saints and the Colts have been very, very good against the run so far this year. So don't be shocked if CMC and CEH both underperform on the ground. Now, this, of course, could be resolved if they get involved in the passing game. But that's been more of a question than we would normally expect from these two players at this point in the year. On Raj's side, we've got some positives. And we're cheating a little bit here because Raj had multiple players play in Thursday night's games. And we know how their outcomes are at the time of this recording. But he saw solid production from Najee with 13.5 fantasy points. Should have been a little bit more, but he had a really unfortunate fumble at the end of the game that helped me a lot. But 13.5 fantasy points there. Nick Chubb continued his great start to the year with 17.3 fantasy points. And Deontay finished with 16.4 fantasy points. So overall, some really solid production. Nothing outstanding, but good output out of those players. I expect the Cardinals to be in a shootout against the Rams this week. That game should be super, super high scoring. That gives plenty of opportunities for Kyler and for Zach Ertz to put up some serious points. The last thing, I actually had this point as a concern and I flipped it to turn it to a positive because as I was writing it, I just thought this was more of a positive. But the, the tagline here is, can we trust Jared Goff as a weekly starter in fantasy? It's a super scary thought, but he draws another super solid matchup and it is ready to feed the sun god yet again. Now for concerns, Raj's flex position is really, really scary and it's a massive question week in and week out. I have little to no faith in Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, or Devonta Smith as a weekly starter, and there's a good chance that Renfro's out this week and that Jacobs may not play with this illness that's popped up, so it, you might have to roll with Devonta. I don't know how I feel about that after a dud week one and a decent game week two. It's just a lot of heartburn. My pick, though, I'm going with, I'm going with Raj. I think there's a strong chance that Kyler scores 30-plus points this week and Goff outperforms the projection they've given him, which they only projected him for like 16 points. And I think that adds to an already strong start to the week for Raj. Like I said, it's cheating a little bit, but I'm, I'm picking Raj here, Blake. What about you? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Raj as well. I think both of these teams have players that have performed much differently than we expected. For example, Tom Brady, everyone expected him to be a top 10 quarterback, and he's been nothing short of an absolute disappointment. 
You have Nick Chubb on the other side who has far exceeded fantasy expectations. Obviously, he's a great running back, but for fantasy, he's always left some people in doubt as far as what his production will look like. And like I mentioned, he's exceeded those expectations and perhaps even more than what people said his upside could be. So I like that about Raj's team. They've all kind of performed in a positive manner. Same with Deontay Johnson being paired with a not-so-great quarterback and Mitch Trubisky, and he doesn't look to be getting much better with Kenny Pickett or Mason Rudolph. He's still performing really well. Terry McLaurin is in an offense where Carson Wentz doesn't look as bad as people expected. I think he has a breakout game coming his way. And then Ethan's team has just been full of players that have underperformed. You know, Tom Brady, like I mentioned, Christian McCaffrey has not been the number two overall pick. Jamar Chase had a a bad week against Dallas. DK Metcalf, just, you know, Kyle Pitts. When you look at Ethan's team, it's hard to predict that any of those guys are going to bounce back and, and turn their luck around. But crazier things have happened. I'm not confident enough in betting on Ethan's team to turn it around. And for that reason, I'm going to take the surprising upside in Raj's team to carry him to a victory this week. All right. Well, that'll do it for our week three preview. Before we wrap up for today, we'll go ahead and give our best place for the week again. Looking back to last week, we just want to keep some accountability with the guys that we're staking our reputation on here as, as high as our reputations are. So last week, Blake, you picked Brandon Ayuk. He finished with a modest 11.3 fantasy points. So we're giving you the tie on the week. We're not going to give you a loss. We're going to say you're 0, zero and 1. I thought I, it was generous. <laughs> I, I think that's perfectly adequate, just like Brandon Ayuk's performance. Well, maybe, maybe Jimmy G can give him some greener pasture. So maybe you can recommend Ayuk again this week. <laughs> I, I will not be doing that. <laughs> My pick last week was Curtis Samuel. I was pretty pleased with that prediction. I think I said specifically that he was a wide receiver one borderline with maybe a wide receiver two finish. And I think he finished about wide receiver 11 or 12 with 22.9 fantasy points. So I hit the nail on the head on that one, giving myself a win on that week. So I am now one zero zero. Blake, who's your play for this week? Yeah, my play for this week is Christian Kirk, former Aggie and now the number one receiver in Jacksonville. He's proved through the first two weeks that he can fill that wide receiver one position, and he has a great opportunity to prove that he can be a strong fantasy wide receiver too this week in a matchup that's going to require a lot of scoring from Jacksonville. I think that Jacksonville is a sneaky playoff team and that Trevor Lawrence is starting to round into form and becoming more of the professional prospect that we expected him to be. And Christian Kirk's clearly his number one guy. I think Christian Kirk cements himself as that strong fantasy play week in and week out that should be considered for something more than just a flex spot. I think he will be an excellent trade piece or you know wide receiver too for whatever team will own him for the rest of the season. So I, I am going to go with Christian Kirk for my week three start of the week. Oh, that one's too easy, Blake. But I'll, I'll allow it since I'm kicking your butt when it comes to the matchup predictions and I'm looks like I'm getting out to a, a nice start here. Also, if you are an owner of Christian Kirk, I would love to trade for him if you would hear me out. I think I've already tried, but just be nice. My best play for week three is the darling of the offseason, Damian Pierce himself. The game this week... Bears against Texans, screams old-fashioned run-first offense for both teams. 
And that's even more emphasized by the fact that the Bears have only completed 15 passes this year. So don't expect them to roll the Texans. The Bears have also allowed the most rushing yards so far this year with 379 yards on 75 attempts, which is five yards per carry. And Pierce's attempts are trending in the right direction. He had 15 week two versus 11 in week one. Additionally, his first two opponents were more stingy against the run. 4.2 yards per carry for the Broncos and 2.7 yards per carry for the Colts, which is the second best mark in the league. I'm not going to say that Pierce will win you your week. I'm expecting him to finally return the RB2, RB3 value that he was drafted for. But I'm really excited for Pierce this week. I think there's a good chance this is the week that he really takes the reins on the Houston backfield. Well, I'm glad that you feel that way. And I do not know how much money Jordan paid you for that analysis, but I will not be starting Damian Pierce this week, despite your recommendation. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us here at the challenge flag for Blake and myself. We would just like to say that football is life and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Good luck with all your matchups.